This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for August 20th, 2023. The title of the message is The Reward of Generosity. Well, we come now to the part of our service in which we open God's Word, and, and, uh, and in many ways we testify to that truth that Jesus uh, proclaimed as he was being tempted uh, in the desert, that uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. That as we hear God's Word read and, and preached, exposited, and applied, that it would be food for our souls to nourish us uh, as we journey on our way to the promised land. Here then now, the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have not received full pa- I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the reading of God's holy word. May it be food, may it be manna for our souls. When we lived in eastern North Carolina, we would often drive through rural areas where you would just see miles and miles of of large crop fields. And sometimes you could recognize what those crops were. I mean, corn is very distinct, right? And wheat is very distinct. Uh, even from when they're small, when they sprout uh, a couple of inches to when they're four or five feet high. But there were some crops that I would drive by and I ha- would have no idea what they were. They were just gr- stalks with, with plants or with green leaves sticking out and they were all in a row. And I didn't know what they were. I was thinking, you know, I heard in, in eastern North Carolina they grow soy. So maybe they're, they're soy. I mean, you know. Me being Asian, I'm like, everything could be soy, right? But I, love, but I just love the fact that, um, that uh, there are a lot of soy plants. And so I, so I kind of wished that they were soy plants. And, uh, but it turns out that over a period of time, we, I would drive through this area. One day, I just went over the hill, and you could just see this whole valley uh, of these crops. And it was the tops of all the plants were white. They looked like they were like little cotton balls. And I realized then that that's what they were. That when it was time for them to fruit, so to speak, they, it, they showed that they were cotton fields. And, and I realized that I had been mistaken. And so as they kept growing, the field became wider and wider till it, was, it seemed like it was just one big cloud 
held up by plants. And it just reminded me of Jesus' saying uh, from Matthew 7, 19, that you will know them by their fruits. See, Jesus was saying that you know what kind of a plant something is or, or, or the kind of tree something is by what it produces, by its fruit. Here, as we come near to the end of Philippians, Paul commends the Philippian church for their generosity. And that generosity is, uh, is, is the fruit, so to speak, of who they are in Christ. And so in some ways, he's telling the Philippians, I know you by your fruit. And what fruit is that? The fruit of generosity that demonstrates uh, that you put your faith in Christ. Why? Because God has been generous to you. So that's what I want us to look at this morning, that we are called, we are called to bear the fruit of generosity because God has been generous to us in the gospel. As we consider Paul's concluding words, he commends them, and in doing so, he's commending us uh, to generosity, first in fellowship, in fruitfulness, and in riches because of God's riches so we can be generous because of fellowship in the gospel, fruitfulness from the gospel, and because of the riches that God provides for us. So let's look at our passage. First, we are called to a generosity of fellowship in the gospel. Like a final thank you, he, Paul is commending the Philippians uh, for their generosity, and in particular as generous partners participants or, or in the fellowship of his mission and ministry. Look at verse 15. Paul talks about how no other churches entered into partnership. He uses a very, uh, a very specific word, partnership, with him except uh, the Philippian church. That word partnership can be translated fellowship or participation, and we usually think in Christian circles, we usually think of fellowship as a kind of deeper Christian uh, uh, socializing, um, sometimes more or less superficial, and sometimes it goes deeper. But fellowship has so much more range of meaning uh, for us in the life of the church. It means participating. Uh, it means being partners. It means interweaving and integrating our lives, living them together, participating in a real, tangible, intimate way with each other's lives in the church of Jesus Christ. And we're not just Sunday Christians. Hi, how are you? I'm great. You go home and you don't even think about your fellow brothers and sisters. But it's, it's a kind of fellowship and partnership in which where Sunday is the climax of a relationship lived well throughout the week in some form or fashion. Uh, that there's real deep community in which we are participants. And then one of the areas uh, of fellowship that Paul is talking about here is a partnership in the actual mission and ministry of Paul's apostolic mission, his apostolic labor to take the gospel into lands where people have never heard the name of Jesus. It's actually uh, 
having fellowship in the ministry through financial or resource uh, gifts. And so when we, when we extend that fellowship in, the, in our giving to the church and to missionaries, right? Every so often we'll have missionaries come and they'll tell us what God is doing in their, in their mission and for the people that they're mission, uh, doing labors uh, unto, sharing the gospel with. Uh, they come to our church because we are supporting their ministry. And so they, whenever they come, they say, they, thank you for partnering with us. We cannot go on the mission field without your help. And that's what Paul is saying here, that, that as the Philippian church is, is providing for him financially or whatever else he needs, uh, Paul is saying, you are a partner with me, that as I go out, you go out as well. The souls that come to faith in Jesus Christ uh, that God uses through me uh, you are participating in that as well so that we can celebrate every soul that comes to faith in Christ. Uh, I remember a story of Adoniram Judson who every so often would write letters back to his prayer partners in England and he would write people's names one by one and then you know, as part of the letter and the people who would receive it would fervently pray for each and every single person that was named on that list. And it turned out over the years that almost all of those people who were named, who had been fervently prayed for by all the churches in England, uh, many of them came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so they really were partners in the mission and ministry of the gospel. And that's the same, that's, that, that goes for you as well. As you give every Sunday morning, you give for the mission and ministry of this church, and not only this church, but, but of church planters, planting churches in our, in, our, in our region and in our whole nation, as well as sending missionaries to foreign fields. That every Every labor of the gospel, um, however small it seems as you partake in it, you have a part in it. And so Paul commends the Philippian church for their, their generosity in, with, in three very important ways. He commends them for their generosity that is grounded in their kindness. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You see, generosity doesn't come naturally to us. It's hard for us to be generous because we feel like uh, if we give more, uh, then we have less. Or, or that we don't have the compassion and kindness in our hearts uh, because we care more about ourselves than those who are in need. And if we give if we're, if we're generous, it might put us at a disadvantage. And if we uh, give too little, then, you know, we're, we're, we kind of ask ourselves, well, it's a bare minimum we can give. And so we end up giving with a stingy heart, asking, what's the least I can give so that I'm not at a disadvantage, that I'm not put out, uh, rather than what's the most that I can give? 
maybe just a little bit out of my comfort zone, or maybe having to sacrifice uh, a pleasure that, you know, maybe a little bit more of my disposable income so that somebody else can have food. Uh, somebody else can pay uh, the, the, the rest of their rent. Um, and there's something about the kindness that God shows us in the gospel that transforms and shapes our hearts into that kind of kindness so that we can give to others because God has been kind to us. And in doing so, we, it points us to the gospel, that it was kind of you to share my trouble. That's what, what, the, what kindness really means in terms of generosity, that, that uh, we are identifying ourselves with the plight of someone else and we're sharing in their troubles. Let me shoulder the burden with you. If you need uh, work, then I'll try to find you work. If you need money, then I'll give you uh, money so that I'm less comfortable and you could be more comfortable. I'm going to sacrifice uh, something that I usually have for myself and give it so that you, you can be bene- uh, benefited, you can be blessed. And it's grounded in the kindness and in the sharing of trouble in Christ. Isn't that what Jesus came into the world to do? To show us the the infinite kindness and generosity and the grace of God by sharing in our trouble. The trouble that we have in in our sin, in our fallen humanity, in, in the alienation that we have with God, the trouble of the wrath that is to come because of our sins. And he didn't just shoulder some of the burden, some of the trouble. He shouldered all of it. When he took our sin upon himself and bore the wrath, the penalty, and the punishment, being completely forsaken of God, He shared more than just some of our trouble. He shared all of it. And it is out of that kindness of Jesus' death and resurrection that he gives to us that wins our hearts so that we can be kind as well. Do you see how, how generosity of kindness arises from the gospel itself? And it's also not, it's not just a generosity of kindness, but a generosity that actually gives and receives to help those in need. That it's not just a kind of like, oh, I hope that you, uh, I hope you, I, I can help you, or, you know, I, or it's not just verbal, it's not just words. Oh, I'll help you is when I'm able to. No, it's an act. It's an action. It's a deed where the kindness that bubbles up from our hearts uh, goes into an action in which we actually give of ourselves for the need of others. And that other person receives our help. Um, look at what that partnership consists of in giving and receiving, and then down in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. This is gospel giving. As you help people, you don't give them a gift that you think you would buy for yourself. You give them a gift for what they need. Uh, How... 
How funny would it be when, when you're dying of hunger and someone says, hey, you know, uh, I bought you a sweater, <laughs> right? And uh, the gospel of God's giving of his one and only son was to fill our need for a righteousness that is not our own, for the forgiveness of sins, a, a right relationship with God. That he gives us uh, his one and only son, which is what we need. Um, and and that, that, that means it's a sacrificial love, a costly love that pushes us out of our comfort zone. It's a generosity that sees someone in need and goes above and beyond by giving above and beyond what's comfortable. Uh, this, is, this is why so many folks uh, just don't like to read the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think it's, it's a heartwarming story, but when we try to apply it to ourselves, we, it, we get a little uncomfortable because the Samaritan goes, goes, he goes the extra mile. I mean, you know, the, the, the Pharisee and the priest... Uh, they just walk right on by. And Paul describes the giving of the Philippians in 2 Corinthians 7. And you can see that kind of sacrificial, costly giving. Uh, Paul says this, that they gave, right? The Philippians gave according to their means, as I can testify. And then look, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. See, they understand what God had given them and the sacrificial nature of that love so deeply that they wanted to do the same for others. They're so compelled. They are so enamored and won over by God's love for them that they want to do the same for those in need around them. They gave beyond their means and more. And this is how God calls you and me to generosity. The kind of generosity that I'm talking about this morning is not a generosity in which you're, you're completely comfortable. I want to I make you a little bit uncomfortable this morning. Uh, to, give, to give out of your comfort zone. I don't know what that might be. But to give out of your comfort zone, to sacrifice your own comfort for the comfort of someone who needs it. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And we're going to touch on that in a moment. But we are also then to the second point. We're not, we are called to a generosity of, of fellowship and ministry, but also a fruitfulness uh, in the gospel. A fruitfulness that is pleasing to God. Now, Paul is writing this letter from prison, and he probably needs help. He probably needs money for food and clothing, and, and, and possibly he may need uh, a little bit more uh, as part of, I guess you could say, part of his, uh, the, the, the Roman guards who are watching him, kind of bribing, not bribing, but to give them money because they are doing a service for him and being, enchaining themselves to him. And uh, Paul, Paul doesn't go right out and say that he needs help, lest he be accused of, of, of mooching off of the people of God. And he doesn't want the Philippians to give out of guilt or compulsion, as if they're being forced to, because he's an apostle. 
And, and he had, as we've said earlier, he has detractors. He has opponents who are like, see, all he wants to do is mo- take money from you. And, but that's not what Paul wants to do. But at the same time, uh, he's, he, does, he, needs, he doesn't want to refuse any help from people. And so, so he, he goes to verse 17, and he says, not that I seek the gift, right? It's not the money that I want. But here's why if you give, I'll take it. Because I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, this is, these are, this is the language of commerce. This is, these are banking terms. Uh, he doesn't want to give uh, because he doesn't want them to give simply because he needs the money. He wants them to give as a fruit of their Christian faith, as an act of discipleship and of worship. Do you see that? That when the people of God, when the Philippians give, it's a fruit of their faith, and that they're depositing that fruit uh, uh, to him, like, like as if he's a bank. That's a really interesting uh, uh, language here. And when he takes that fruit of the gospel ministry that, that is being used for him, as he takes it and uses it for the kingdom of God in his ministry and in his life, it, it's like compounding bank interest. It's multiplying. It is increasing to their credit. It's going to grow and grow, not only for the kingdom, but for them personally and corporately. Just like the parable of the talents. You know, there were um, the master in that, in that parable. Uh, the master gives one servant five talents and another servant two talents and another servant one talent. And he says, go use it, invest it, and, and make a profit and come back. And so when, when he comes back, when all the servants come back, the, the first two servants are like, hey, you know, I took your five and I doubled it. And here it is, master. And the other, the other second servant says, I took the two and I doubled it. And here's four, master. But the, but the servant who gave one, uh, he didn't like the fact that the, that the master gave him the money so that he could pocket it. And he's like, I know you're a hard man, and you're a hard man to please, so I just buried it in the dirt. And so here's the one, the one talent that you gave me. I'm just going to give it right back to you. And the master calls him a wicked servant. He calls him a wicked servant. And um, the point is that the, point is that the ones who, who doubled it, who took what was given to them, invested it, and and, and it and grew it, almost like interest, if you will, uh, the master says, uh, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master, Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. You see, when we take what God gives us and we increase it somehow by investing in it, using it for his glory, and then watching it just grow, bear fruit, if you will, uh, putting those two kind of commerce and, and, uh, and agricultural uh, uh, language together, uh, we are pleasing the Lord. We're doing what we're supposed to do. And we're growing the kingdom. And this is what, what God is calling us to do with, in being generous uh, in our giving. 
We give it away for the growth of the kingdom. We give it away for the work of the gospel. And as we do so, we're putting it in the bank, so to speak, and let it compound interest year after year uh, to where it's going to grow and grow and multiply. We give it away to help our fellow Christians in need or to help the poor. Uh, We give it away to missionaries and evangelists that as they share the gospel, uh, the, the number of souls being saved is being compounded. And then so that then when as they steward the gifts that God gives them, they give and then they give and then they give. And like a venture capitalist, and it's, I'm just using this as an illustration, like a, venture, like a venture capitalist, when you give at the early ground floor of something that's going to just blow up in terms of, of growth as a company, that's, whatever you gave is going to multiply by leaps and bounds more than if you were to give later when everyone else is given. And that's what Paul is telling uh, the Philippians, that they gave when no one else would give, and now their, the compounding interest of their spiritual investment has grown exponentially. And so he's just encouraging them to do more of that. Uh, there's an interesting story about a, uh, a man in the Midwest where he, in the, in the, in the early 80s, he had read some investing books, and he decided to, to, to uh, buy some shares in, in this new company that nobody else knew out of Nebraska. And he bought, he bought like 50 shares at like $200 each uh, of Berkshire Hathaway that no one, like just nobody had ever heard of them. And he just kept buying them, you know, at that low price year after year until uh, in 2015, he'd bought so many stocks and that the value of each of those stocks ballooned to $500,000 each that he became a billionaire. And that's, that's, in many ways, that's the kind of spiritual investment that Paul is, is commending the Philippians for and what, what God is commending you to do. Uh, to give at the bottom, at the, on the ground floor, and then just let it multiply, let it grow. And it's going to be wonderful one day uh, in glory when Jesus, return, when Jesus returns, he's going to show you exactly how much interest you have accrued and the total value of the spiritual investment that you had made. And it's going to be, it's going to blow your mind. Let me, think of, let me put it to you this way. Think about the spiritual investment that the Philippians gave Paul right here so that everything he did as a result of his ministry and his writing his letters and planting the churches, that we are still, 2,000 years later, we are a part of that spiritual interest that has grown as a result of Paul's ministry and the Philippian investment. How wonderful it would be for that Philippian church on, 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 in glory to see all the souls that they had, that, that had 
that they participated in, in the growth of the kingdom. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's almost everybody after Paul's ministry. Almost everyone who became Christians uh, through Paul's ministry all the way to the present. And, and so you can, can do that as well as you give and make spiritual investment by being generous. And it's not just a fruit of faith, but it is a gift of sacrifice, a gift of sacrifice to God as an act of worship. Paul says he received the financial gift and is well supplied. Look at what he says there. The gifts you sent uh, are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, their gift to Paul was an act of worship, a fragrant offering. And so here's the thing. When you give, uh, let, let, whatever you give generously for the work of ministry and for the, the blessing of your fellow brothers and sisters, or, or whatever it is that God calls you to be generous in giving, to help your poor neighbor or friend, whatever it is, you're not just giving it to them as if it's just a personal interaction or personal transaction, but you're giving it as a sacrifice to God to give it to them so that when they receive it, they are receiving it from God as well. And as you give as a sacrifice, uh, knowing that you, know, you could have bought a whole new, I don't know, bike with what you're giving to the church, who knows, but right, I don't know how much you give and I don't ever want to know. But, but when, I don't know if you ever do this, this, this uh, math, but you're like, you know, you give to somebody and you think in your mind, man, I could have bought a week's worth of groceries. I could have filled up two or three ga- tanks of gas with that. No, right? When we, when we do that, it ought to be as a, as a willing and joyful sacrifice to say, you know what, I'm going to go with one less tank of gas so that this person uh, can, can have dinner. I'm going to go, I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold back from um, buying something that, a luxury that, that I want to get for myself uh, so that this person can pay their rent. Or I want to give more uh, so that we can send more missionaries, we can do more ministry, and I can live on less. Uh, And so we want to give sacrificially because it's an act of worship that God is pleased. And this points us then to the idea of sacrifice that turns everything we do into a sacrifice as well, which is the sacrifice of God's one only Son, the gift of God's own generosity to us, in which Jesus gives of himself so that we can live. See, this is, this is why we can be generous in our sacrificial giving, because God and Christ were generous in their sacrificial giving. That he who did not, uh, he, that for God so loved the world that he gave, 
that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The language of generosity, sacrifice, and giving. That this is how the gospel saves us. That we in our sin deserve nothing but the displeasure of God. That God is completely holy and just to punish us for our sins, and rightfully so, because we have sinned against him, uh, a holy God, an infinitely holy God, and therefore we have infinitely committed acts of treason and of sin against him. That we who deserve nothing, less, nothing but the displeasure of God for our sins in the gospel through Christ, Jesus took the displeasure that we deserve and died on the cross, suffering our shame. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in doing so, when we believe in him, as he took the displeasure of God for himself, the wrath of God for himself, then we receive his righteousness. We receive his, uh, who he is, his perfect record, so that we then become pleasing to God. We become pleasing to God. This is the gospel, friends, brothers and sisters. That we can please God because Jesus bore the displeasure of God in our place. So that then Paul can say, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God of what Jesus has done, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. That everything we do, everything we give by faith is a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's what the Philippians are discovering through Paul's commendation here. Do you see that? That God calls us to a generosity of fellowship and fruitfulness ultimately because we have the generosity of God's riches in Christ. Look at verse 19. Paul tells the Philippians why they can so generously uh, give and he, and, he give, and he grounds it in God's generosity. Look at what he says there. And my God will supply every need of yours. You see what Paul is doing here? He's giving us a reason for giving. He's giving us the reward of giving, that God will supply our every need, and therefore we can give sacrificially. We can give of whatever we can to help those around us. We don't have to worry about whether we, we have enough for ourselves, because whatever we give, God will replace and more in our need. Do you see that? Do you see why we can be so stingy? Because we don't think we have enough, so we're just going to give enough so that we have what we need. It's a matter of a heart, not of numbers. So that then if we know that we are going to have everything that we need, then we are free to give generously of all that we have. Because our God will supply our every need. Do you believe that whenever you give generously to somebody? And the greatest gift of God's generosity is Christ himself. 
It is Christ himself. Kent Hughes says this. Paul promised that God would meet, God would not meet their greed, but their need. Not all they thought they needed, but all they truly needed. Every need compasses the breathtaking range of everything that is vital to living for Christ. This meant for the Philippians that God would meet any material need created by their great generosity to Paul. The stunning scope of the promise is that that there is not one thing that they and all faithful Christians truly needed that God would not give. On the basis of this, we can proclaim to every generous believer that God will meet every need he or she has. But to the grudging, to the stingy, so to speak, there is no such solace. The wholesale application of this great promise does not exist. It is for the generous follower of Christ alone. You will never know how much God will provide for your need unless and until you give generously out of faith because you know that God will give you what you need. So you don't have to worry. Have I given too much? How am I going to pay the bills if I give this? God will provide. And it's all because Jesus, Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. Paul, Paul quotes Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He who did not spare his one and only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If we have Jesus We already have everything we need because whatever we need, he will give us. So if in Christ we have everything, then what is, let's just say, if if in Christ, let's just say, for example, we have a trillion dollars. I'm just putting some numbers. If we have a trillion dollars, then what's a million dollars? What's a dollar? What's two dollars? It's a drop in the bucket. I think we don't give because we don't realize how rich we really are in Christ Jesus. We don't value him the way that we should. We don't see him as our treasure. And so we are stingy. But if we knew exactly how infinitely of worth and the treasure that Jesus is, we could give. We could give more than what we thought we could give. We could give as much Because in Christ we have everything and God will supply us with everything we need. So friends, brothers and sisters, this is how we know that we're really trusting in the Lord and his generosity. As we give generously for for the fellowship of the mission and ministry of the church. As we bear fruitfulness in the gospel. And as we draw from the infinite wealth that we have of the riches of God and glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let us not be stingy, but generous towards others because God was not stingy and was generous towards us in the gospel. 
Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth uh, that, that you call us to be generous uh, and that you, you don't just tell us to be generous uh, as if we don't know where things are going to come from, but you call us to be generous because you will supply our every need. You have supplied our every need. You've given us nothing less than the, the, the value and the treasure of your one and only Son. Help us to really believe that truth. Help us to be generous in all that we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.